Hello everyone and welcome to The Stagey Place, the podcast where we here chat to the most amazing writers, directors, producers, designers, everyone that works in this incredible industry that we call theatre. We celebrate them here on the podcast as they are promoting their latest projects. And in this episode, we are talking to the writer of The Flea, James Fritz, whose work I have admired for years. Over lockdown, and we talk about it in this episode, I was reading Ross and Rachel, I read Lava, I got friends from uni who I went to years back and we read Lava and we absolutely loved it and we spoke about the play afterwards and again I do tell James about this in this interview but there's something about celebrating all this work, previous work and current work of all of the guests that come on to the podcast here on The Stagey Place. And as we release this episode today, on Tuesday the 10th of October, we are celebrating International Stage Management Day, the vital components to every show that you go and see at the theatre. Even though you may not see them actually doing their work, they are there in the background, they're usually the first people in and the last people out. We celebrate every single person who works within this industry. And today we are celebrating the Flea, which opens at the Yard Theatre tomorrow on Wednesday the 11th of October and runs through till the 18th of November 2023. And in this episode, like I say, we get to hear from the writer themselves, James Fritz. So sit back, relax and enjoy episode 116 with James Fritz. Hello James and welcome to The Stagey Place. How are you doing today? Uh, I'm really good, thanks mate. I'm really good indeed. Yeah, lovely to be here. Thank you so much for coming on. James, at the time of recording, we are a week away from the flea opening at the Yard Theatre. When this episode goes out, we are a day before the first preview. So at the time of recording, a week away from the show opening, how are you feeling about the flea opening at the Yard Theatre? Do you know what? I was saying this in rehearsals the other day, that like usually at this point, I'm a sort of a bit of a puddle on the on the floor. Do you know what I mean? Like sort of sleepless nights and tearing my hair out and that feeling of being like butter, like spread too thin or whatever. And in this one, I mean, again, I, like, I could be about to jinx this. I'm feeling all right. I feeling really good i think like place had a really long development process so actually getting it finally into rehearsals with an incredible company has felt like come at the right time and so yes we've got i mean we got into the space yeah yesterday which was really exciting so there's gonna obviously gonna be some like loads of teething problems and stuff this week but right now i think we're in a good place i just i'm just sort of buzzing to get it in front of an audience now yeah absolutely and obviously we're going to talk a lot about the flea in this episode but james what i love to do with new people that come onto the podcast is talk about their journey into theater and actually how you found theater whether or not that was at a younger age or later on in life so for you james where did theatre first come into your life? My mum sort of forced me to go, I think probably to get me out the house, to a sort of Saturday drama club, Saturday morning thing, in a nearby school. And that's the first sort of time I can remember, like, doing it and sort of realising how sort of fun it was and how maybe, like, it was it was a sort of aligned to a bit of my, a bit of my personality or whatever that, that maybe I hadn't really explored before. And it was only like, you know, you'd go and just play drama games, sort of do little improv things and things like that. I think I must have been about 
13 14 something like that but it gave me the bug massively and so then after that you know I tried to do I did you know you know my school plays and thought I was an amazing actor and I was a terrible actor just sort of shouting at my mum do you know what I mean but like the thing I sort of fell in love with was being around people in rehearsal and just having I don't know it's still I still find it so much fun like just going into those rooms and that's the thing for me that's always driven me I think and so that like kind of started this love affair with it where I wasn't really sure what I would end up doing or how I would end up doing it but I sort of wanted to be part of the team I suppose and gradually I realized that I'd always sort of written as a kid but never really realized that being a playwright was a thing really I think a lot of people don't I'd sort of written mad short stories and poems and say scribbled down in all sorts of notebooks and as I got a bit older I started to realize that I could marry the two things mm. I think and that writing was a way into that rehearsal room that I loved so much and I think and again a lot of people I think start this way I started writing comedy I wrote I wrote sort of dumb sketches and sort of short skits and really silly stuff and it just was like I still remember I really remember really clearly seeing the first time properly seeing some people do a short sketch of mine and I hadn't I hadn't really ironically given what I just said I hadn't really been around for rehearsals but I went I went to this sort of sketch night that they did it on and I sat and I watched them do it. And I was like, oh my God, this feeling is amazing. You know, like this sort of, it's taken on this life that I had no idea. I had no idea something could take on. And after that, it was a sort of reframing of, of like who I was and like what I kind of wanted to do. And then gradually, like as we'll probably get onto, I sort of realised I wasn't quite funny enough to be a comedy writer. Do you know what I mean? I sort of like, I found it sort of deeply stressful because I like, I would work with all these really funny people and I'd be like the least funny person in the room. And it's like, and I just sort of, my brain didn't quite work that way. But the sort of things that I was learning about form and structure and writing for brilliant actors, I kind of kept with me and the work got sadder and sadder. (laughs) But I became more and more interested in writing longer and longer things. I could talk your ear off about all the mad stuff I had to do to start, kind of get started. But that's broadly how I kind of fell in love with it, I think. Yeah, that's what I was going to say, because the work that I know you from is obviously Ross and Rachel and Lava, which I went to see yeah. the production last year. But both of those plays came to me over lockdown, especially Lava as well, because uh, I was at university many years ago. And then over lockdown, we did like these play readings over lockdown and I suggested that we read Lava because I just thought it was the most wonderfully written play that I hadn't seen on stage yet. But um, Oh, that's so nice. Thank you. You write characters as well. It's just gorgeous. I'm sure you must have had many people wanting to do Jamie's monologue from Lava talking about his mother, which when I first read it, and we read it on a Zoom meeting, for some reason I was welling up by the end of it. And I'd oh read my gosh. <laughs> I knew Jamie's character and the whole thing. But like that monologue, reading it out loud, was just the most wonderful wonderful emotional experience for me I don't really understand why it was but maybe it's because of where we were in lockdown but it was just so beautifully written so I just want to say that to you as well that I know your work I just think you write so beautifully oh mate that's really honestly that is that is so lovely to hear thank you very much that play is so funny because it's like it's one of the reasons why I love writing for theatre as well I think is that you write something you've no idea the way that it it's going to be read or the way that it's going to change as the world changes. Do you know what I mean? And so I wrote Lava in 2018. Yeah. And it was supposed to go on in 
we did it for two weeks at the Nottingham Playhouse and then it was supposed to do a full tour starting in April 2020 which obviously didn't happen you know so we were due to open maybe two or three weeks after the first lockdown was announced what was magic about it is like the play like you're not the first person to say that they came across that play in that period and I've never had something before which had been published but not seen really and so so many people read it over the course of that sort of 18 months and of course like the play is about for those who don't know how four people come to terms with a kind of national disaster emergency that affects the whole country and in a myriad different ways and so what started as quite a big idea became a sort of supernaturalistic idea in many ways. So I sort of think that place sort of really benefited from being around in that period. And it's sort of a, then when we were finally able to do it in 2022, there was a real sense of catharsis almost, I suppose, of getting back together and actually like making work again. It's funny because it sort of, it used to be like maybe like my least loved child of my plays because it was maybe, I was like, oh, maybe it's not cool enough or maybe it's not formally exciting enough or, you know, I don't, doesn't plumb the depths of human misery or whatever. And as the years go on and as I get older, and I think partly because of that period, that play is, is maybe one of my favourites, if not my favourite that I've ever done. I don't know. Yeah, there's sort of, yeah, it's, it's, there's something very special to me about it now, I think. And like you say, like, yeah, you don't know how it's going to develop with how the world develops as well. And so we should move on to The Flea, which is a retelling of the Cleveland street scandal. So tell me, James, were you aware of this originally? Like, how does the Cleveland street scandal come into your lap and you decide that you're going to write a retelling of it? Yeah, so this is really it's a really interesting period because it's the first it's the first time writing a play that I've kind of looked back rather than sort of made a world my own, which is usually the way that I work. And it came from the artist, the director of the Yard Theatre. We were talking about the potential seed commission, and he was fascinated with the Victorian era. And he said they really want to write something about the way the Victorians are perceived versus the the reality of it. And you know, this was in a time a couple of years after Brexit. There's this real time of wrestling with what our national identity and this sort of nostalgia for the past that existed and so he was like wouldn't it be good to go look at this period of empire and Britishness and properness and chasteness and all this and actually look at what was really going on and so I went away and I read loads and I sort of delved into some of the characters of the time and particularly the royal family and in the chapter in a book I was reading about the Prince of Wales it came across the reference to this scandal the Cleveland Street scandal which is where a sort of high-end homosexual brothel in Fitzrovia was exposed and a lot of the clientele were linked to members of the aristocracy and even rumour has it the royal family and the scandal really came from the fact that following the brothel being discovered the entire thing was covered up only a couple of the rent boys who were working at the telegraph service at the time went to prison and for me reading that I was like okay great actually this is sort of doing everything that Jay was looking for you know there's no point writing a history play unless you're going to write about what matters to you right now and so I was like this has so many things I want to look at in terms of class politics and in terms of you know our relationship to aristocracy which has really crystallized over the last couple of years particularly with the death of the queen and stuff and I was like, what if I took that historical event and filled in the gaps in a way that lets me look at it in a kind of holistic way from the very, very bottom of society to the very top and everyone in between and look at the ripples in the pond that happens when one boy gets arrested and starts talking and how it affects, you know, there's about 20 different characters in the play and they're all affected by the scandal in different ways. 
And so, yeah, so that was the genesis of it, really. And then it's been about this push and pull with like how much to fictionalize it and how much to be really accurate. And so I've been really super accurate in some ways and gone on these real leaps of imagination in other ways and have made this sort of mad thing, which has used this incredible real life story as its, as its kind of foundation. Yeah, so if people are coming to see the flea and they are aware of the street scandal already, what can they expect from this version of the show that you are presenting on stage? So I think it's important to state that, you know, partly because of who I am as a writer, partly because of who the yard is as a building. If you're coming and wanting the sort of the super historically accurate, very, very faithful depiction of the Cleveland Street scandal, this isn't it. Somebody should write that, I think. It would make an amazing film. But this isn't it. It's very theatrical. It's full of characters, some of whom are based on real people, some of whom were real people, some of whom were completely fictionalised. But what it's doing is sort of using quite heavy subjects as well. And it's a fascinating bit of history, but quite traumatic bit of history. And so what the play is trying to do is inject a bit of life and a bit of fun and a bit of so it's really full of twists and turns and speaks to loads of genres of cop drama in there. And there's a bit of The Crown in there. There's a bit of kitchen sink drama in there. It kind of moves through all these different modes of working. And it's like, I don't know, the sort of rehearsals have been amazing. What they're putting together out of this thing is a real ride. It's got this incredible design team now, like who have made these like, you know, you should see some of these costumes. It's sort of like nothing I've ever seen in the theatre. They're sort of taking the offer of this play, which is very big and very uh, adventurous, I suppose. And everybody has sort of picked up that offer and really run with it. It's, uh, yeah, I can't wait to see it all come together. And that's the thing as well, right? Because you write the words on the page, but you don't necessarily know how it's going to be established or formed by creative teams and stuff like that. I'm not sure how much you've been in the rehearsal room, you know, as a writer. I don't know how much you enjoy looking at the work. Do you change maybe bits of the script and stuff like that when you see the actors in the space working with the story? Like how much in each of your shows do you find that you are changing it once you're realising what the show is looking like in the rehearsal room. I mean, every writer is different, right, with this question. And But for me, it's always been a crucial part of writing the play is I try and make myself not be too wedded to anything until we get into that first week of rehearsal because the whole point of writing, I think, for the theatre is like a starting point for people to make something. Do you know what I mean? You want people to be excited by choices and by being able to make something out of what you've written. And if you're too, if I feel if I'm too prescriptive, that limits what it can be and I'm also I also operate very much under like if I work really really hard to make the first production as good as possible the play will sort of accidentally take care of itself if that makes sense so if I'm getting out of the way of the act if a certain line needs changing because the actors are finding a different way through or a certain scene needs shrinking because that bit's feeling too slow or I mean like you'll see when if you get if you get to come and see it there are some speeches in this play which are just there because I'm not having to cover a quick change because we've got a small cast. That's your job as much as anything else is to find these these creative solutions to working together. And I've all, my experience right from day one has always been that your collaborators make your work better. I always start every job with the offer of just like, do what you want. Do you know what I mean? It's do like do 100% what you want because I'm not the director, I'm not the designer. And... If you do that 99 times out of 100, I think it, I think you'll find stuff that make the play better in ways you can never imagine. But there does come a point, and I've been known to change too much, and then all of a sudden you've got really shaky foundations when you're going into first preview, and like, and there's a sort of time to be like, okay, cool, 
this scene might be a bit long, but I'm going to leave it alone so the actors can get it in their bones and stuff like this. And like, so it's a real balancing act, I think. But you know, I started I started the conversation. So I love, I just love being around, man. And you know, it's a lonely job being a writer. And like, this is the this is the fun bit when you're in when you when you've got colleagues and your team and you're all sort of working towards the same thing. Do you find that you are in the rehearsal room quite a bit then? Yeah, I think early on, I always do this thing of like, I'll be there for the first week, although it was the first two weeks of this one because it's a longer play, and then disappear. Disappear so everyone can talk about it as if it's just a thing that exists and they're not asking you questions and, you know, they can start coming up with their own solutions. And then after that, come back in when needed to see a run, to see a scene that's not working, you know, blah, blah, blah. And then at the end be around a lot for previews and stuff so that's sort of always the way I worked which was good this time as well because I got to go on holiday <laughs> so that was nice did you have a nice time away very nice it was very it was very needed yeah it was very needed yeah so yeah the director was like you're going where and I'm like yeah yeah off to Crete enjoy have a fun with the play <laughs> <laughs> so obviously you've spoken a lot about the you know the creative team and stuff like that you know how they you know bring to life your vision that you've written down on page so do you just want to talk about the creative team and maybe some of the cast that you've got on the show so who have we got on the flea yeah 100 percent. so the director is jay miller who founded this is a really nice story as well jay founded the yard theater in about 2011 i think in the early 2013 i, I was in my early 20s i needed a job i ended up pulling pint on the yard bar for like a year so that was how it was when i first met jay it's like you know he was the sort of big scary boss at the theatre where I worked, I worked on the bar of. And like, I'd worked at another theatre bar and they never spoke to you. Jay, I remember him coming by in the bar, introducing himself, all this sort of stuff. Anyway, like, literally a decade later, I'm sort of back there. It's really, it's, it's, it feels sort of super nostalgic for me because it's a totally different time in my life. And so getting to work with Jay as a creative, having sort of seen everything he's done, is amazing. Like, I don't know if you've seen any of his work down the years, but he's a sort of, there's no one really like him. Like, he did a production of The Crucible, was astonishing. He did a play called This Beautiful Future, which ended with live ticks being brought on stage. Like, he did a new play called The Mikva Project, where they built an entire sort of swimming pool, like, bath in the yard. It was like, like you know... The guy's got a sort of imagination like nobody else. And so to, to sort of have someone like that putting your thing together is such a gift, I think. And you'll see what all, some of the stuff he's doing with it is, is sort of astonishing, I think. And he's he's sort of served by this brilliant design by Naomi Kite Cohen. They did iJone, the big slide of iJone at the Globe, which was this incredible drop slide that everyone, everyone wanted to have a go on. And they've now done this amazing... I mean, it's like you want to touch it. The whole thing that they said was like, you want to touch the design as soon as you see it. And it's like, oh my God, you do. Yeah, I think it's going to be incredible. And like the cast, we've got a cast of five, which, and as I said, the play is big. So you need them to be amazing. And in that, so the company's led by Nora Lopez Holden, who like people might have seen her in uh, in the Equus that Ned Bennett did, or she was Ophelia to the Kush Jumbo Hamlet at the Young Bit. And like, I've seen Nora's work for years and she's sort of this really unique performer, I think. Like one of those performers that lets a play come through her rather than bringing herself to the play. And it's such a gift in a new play because you're all of a sudden, she plays two characters. She plays the sort of lead character, Emily, who's our sort of guide through the play. And she also plays Queen Victoria when we get up that high. 
And it's like, I won't spoil too much, but it's like the performance goes to some wild places. And then we've got two debut, two guys who are making their stage debut, which is so lovely. Connor Finch and Seamus McLean Ross. And then rounded off, Sonny Poontip basically plays like every supporting character. And Scott Kareem, who people might would have seen around loads, is plays like the kind of grizzled detective character. And it's just like, it's just great, man. They're a really lovely bunch and not moaning at me for throwing a million quick changes at them as well. <laughs> so we're going near the end of talking about the flea then, James. But let's just ask you, is there a scene? Is there a moment? Is there a monologue that you are most excited or intrigued to find the audience's feedback from in the play itself? Yeah. For me, plays are always about how you decide to end it. And I really won't spoil too much. I was sort of sat on Saturday in the space, first day we were in the space, and watching Seamus and Nora do the end of the play. And it's like, I can't wait to see how an audience responds to it. I sort of think my favourite bits of theatre where there is a bit of ambiguity or strangeness or unexpectedness to where it takes you. I think there can be such great spaces for, for exploring the weird bits of what it is to be alive. And this hopefully feels like that. And I think some people will really go with it and some might not, but if we can get it working, and it feels it really feels like they will get it working. They're such great performers. Yeah, I sort of can't wait to see how people read it in the bar afterwards. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So that is it cheating to say the end. There's also actually this is one I can say as well because I didn't write it. Jay and the gang and Sung Im, who's our movement director, have put together this sort of like opening sequence, almost like a credit sequence to the play, which I've never seen anything like. Like, and it just leaves me with the biggest grin on my face. So I'm just, I can't wait to see that on the first night as well. Sounds really exciting. So James, that is the flea then. It's on at the Yard Theatre from the 11th of October until the 18th of November. Now, James, before I let you go to have your day, we've got two final questions for you on the podcast. And they are the two questions that we ask everybody who comes on the podcast. And the first question is about advice that you might have for emerging writers who are coming into the industry. So, James, for you, what is the advice that you would give these emerging writers that maybe you wish that you knew when you were starting out writing theatre? I think it's both a really tricky time and a really potentially really exciting time to be emerging at the moment because theatre has been through a sort of, you know, it took an enormous body blow with COVID and the arts funding has also like massively been drying up over the last few years. And so every everywhere is is just spread a little thin i think and so the thing i always wish i'd learned is that and it's taken me far too long to learn is that it will feel frightening and it will feel like you're being shut out and it will feel like it's cliquey it feels awfully cliquey i think and it can feel like this kind of alien thing but the thing to do is just to keep writing and seeing stuff i think seeing stuff reading plays and writing and then the final thing i think is be confident being because again i'm terrible at this and friends of mine who aren't have found this whole period more recent period a lot easier to deal with i think be an advocate for yourself there's no harm in emailing people you want to work with there's no harm in, in hustling a bit it can feel i think we can all be really um squeamish about it and it used to be fine that you would just write plays and could be the sort of enigmatic figure and would just get by on the work alone. But everyone is so overstretched that they don't have time. They want you to bring your your great self to them. Do you know what I mean? They need you to. 
And so I would say it's a, as much as it's difficult, try and build up a bit of a thick skin and just spray gun invites, emails, also the writing, go, keep the writing going. And also, I don't know, man, like this is the other thing. And I always say this to new writers. It's like we've got a million plays. We could never write another new play and we would still never run out of them, of things to see. Do you know what I mean? There's so many plays to do that we could do again that there should be a reason for what you bring into the world i think and when you find that reason you should really run with it because that's what makes new voices exciting i think so just sort of keep thinking about and keep holding on to the fact that you as a writer you are unique i think and that uniqueness and that perspective on the world is why like new writing exists so yeah so that as well i think yeah, and actually, you say something there about like the the, the feeling of being terrified or or being worried. You know, whilst you're writing your plays, you know, making sure that you know they're the best that they can be. Let's talk about you writing any of the plays that you've done so far. Was there a point during the writing process where you thought, "I don't think this is going to work. Maybe I need to look at maybe writing something new, and maybe leaving this to the side whilst I, you know, do something else." Like, are you always only writing one play at a time, or do you find that you are researching Searching other bits for future projects whilst also getting on your most current play. I think this is a really hard lesson to learn as well and a really useful one. Rewriting is so important about getting a play to where you want it to get to. For most writers, I think it's not just about honing this line or making this joke a bit funnier or cutting this little scene. It, it will get to be about those things, but you have to be comfortable thinking about the big things as well. Form, structure, story, the, the title. And with me, it's very inefficient, incredibly inefficient. I think I'll be much more successful if I didn't work like this. But I often have to write two or three plays about a subject or a character to find the play that I want to write. I often will find out what I want to say, but I don't know how I want to say it. Or I will think of a way of saying something, but I don't know what exactly I want to say. It's only very rarely those two things sort of come at the same time. And everybody needs one, partly because I think it's useful to move on to the next thing. It helps you think about the last thing. And like, I, you know, I did, did a play last year that I'd written for a completely different theatre company six years before. And I came back to it. And do you know what I mean? I, it's, it's, and there's not a word that's similar, but the idea stays with you. And I think it can take a while for newer writers and creatives to not get too attached to the thing that they're writing, but actually think one or two ahead as well. And as soon as you start doing that, play one you'll find accidentally gets better so i do think it's a really good habit to get into to be always looking for the next idea even if you still feel like you're in the throes of the idea you care about more than anything yeah yeah absolutely well james thank you so much for that piece of advice i'm sure people listening will be able to take that on board we're going to move over to the final question of this podcast now james it's the title of this podcast that's the stagey place and what i love to ask all of my guests is whereabouts their stagey places so james for you this could be a rehearsal room like you say you like to be in the rehearsal room maybe on the first week or however long the production is maybe it's for the first two weeks it could be the office or wherever you find your inspiration to write your place so it could be somebody that's inspired you and gone Let's look at this time period, like you said, like the Victorian time period. And that's when you then start to find your stagey place through the research. Or maybe your stagey place is 
being sat in the auditorium on those first couple of previews and feeling the excitement or the anticipation of what your audiences are going to think during your shows. So James Fritz, let us know here on the Stagey Place, whereabouts is your Stagey Place? This is probably going to be biased as well because this is where I am, not where I am right now speaking, but where I am in terms of where we are with the flea. I think my Stagey Place is a pub near the rehearsal room on an early Friday evening after a week of rehearsals but before you've opened there's a moment there where the thing exists but it's sort of still just for you guys and you're you're you know it's so transient as well your colleagues your colleagues for this short period and then you all go off and do your separate thing but when you're in that thing you you all have this sort of shared sort of secret I think and the sort of right from a young age I've just always loved the gossip and the chat and the sort of picking apart of what you've done and the sort of nerves about excitement but like oh my god well how are they going to read this bit or like how how the hell are we going to solve this bit do you want another beer yes obviously i want another beer and i think like those conversations are where so much of the work happens without you noticing writing can be really lonely jobs sometimes horrible and then you get moments like that and it's amazing and you still get them when the run's on. But when the run's on as well, you have people who have come and seen it or people who I'm always terrified about how what people have thought, et cetera, et cetera. But when it's just about the making of the work and you're just making it with people who you're enjoying working with, then yeah, a pint after work on a Friday, I think is my stage of place. And that's the exciting thing about new writing, isn't it? Nobody knows what the play is yet. Nobody knows what the words are or like, you know, how they can visually see it because they haven't seen the play yet. You know, they haven't got the play text. So far, this play is just for you, the creatives and the cast in the room at the moment. And then you're going to show it to the public next week and, you know, people could buy the play text or whatever and, you know, suddenly have it as part of their collection. But right now, like you say, it's this little secret that you've got that you can't wait to share amongst the world a hundred percent it exists but it doesn't exist do you know what i mean it's sort of it's sort of magic you know you come home and it's like how was your day and it's really it's really hard to explain how your day was do you know what i mean you've sort of seen people do magic yeah it's kind of amazing it is amazing well james that brings us to the end of our podcast thank you so much for coming on once again the flea is at the yard theater from the 11th of october until the 18th of november we'll have all the ticketing information in our episode bio wherever anybody is listening to this episode of the stage place podcast but for now james thank you so much for joining me today oh thank you man it's been a pleasure and there we go that was episode 116 with writer james fritz of the flea which runs at the yard theater from the 11th of october until the 18th of november like i said at the end of that interview we'll have all of the ticketing info in our episode bio so wherever you are listening to the podcast right now check out the episode bio where you'll find a link to where you can book your tickets i'm so excited to catch this show when i caught fifth words production of lava at the soho theater last year it was so nice to be able to see the show that I had read about over lockdown. And so I'm really excited to be able to catch the flea whilst it's at the Yard Theatre. And I'd love to thank James so much for coming onto the podcast to talk about the show, to talk about the writing process and how you deal with coming into this industry as an emerging writer. But also, I think it's fair to say that the advice that James gave within that interview could be applied to anybody within the industry. As long as we reach out to those people who we really admire and would like to work with, I think that applies to every single part 
of the theatre industry. So I really do hope that you, the listener, have got something from today's episode of The Stagey Place. Now, if this is the first time you have come across this podcast, first of all, thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to hear more about the podcast, find out who we've had in the year since we started in 2020 and who we've got coming on in the next couple of weeks, you can follow us on Instagram, X and TikTok at The Stagey Place. That brings us to the end of today's episode. And so, until you tune in to another episode of The Stagey Place, I hope you're keeping safe and staying stagey. Goodbye.